what have you done for me lately syndrome. Uh, you know, maybe some other of you have, have also been so hampered by such a disease of, of what have you done for me lately. And, and it's one of the, the worst diseases in terms of living free in the power of God and the love of Christ and the beauty of His Holy Spirit. Um, as, a, as a child, I, I, it, I can look back and see, you know, my dad loved to play. And he loved for us to come along with him. You know, so he loved water. So he got boats and skis and jet skis. And he said, y'all come play with me. And so it was a great deal. We did. And uh, he said, you know, he loved to go snow skiing and in the mountains. And so uh, about once a year, we'd get to go with him. And he loved during the summer to go and visit his friends in different places, even around the world. I mean, we went to Houston and New York City, and then we went to Montreal, Canada one summer. And then one summer we even got to go to Madrid, Spain to, to visit one of his friends. So, you know, I, yeah, I was, you know, spoiled child. It's particularly prominent this syndrome in spoiled uh, children. And, and it shows itself. When you don't get what you want. Showed itself in me, particularly when I didn't get what I want. Because I can remember one weekend that some friends were going out um, for a, a, a trip together. And my parents said I couldn't go with them on that trip because I had some family obligations. Man, injustice that I faced. There And then that, what have you done for me lately syndrome kicked in. And I can remember saying, man, I never get to go anywhere. <laughs> and that was how dad responded too. He just sort of laughed out loud and left the room. It's not just though in that funny sort of humorous uh, spoiled way that we have that syndrome. It's also in really serious ways, in, in ways that are a whole lot more understandable. When we are the victims of the brokenness of this world. Not just when we don't get what we want, but when we have inflicted upon us pain. Pain that may we did nothing to do to deserve. From an accident, or from a disaster, or from disease. And in the midst of those times as well, you know, we can respond to the pain in that time and cry out to God, you know, what have you done for me lately? Both cases, though, there's this syndrome that, that shows itself in us, I think are being addressed in our passage today in Exodus um, chapter 12. Where what we'll see as we look through it, um, we're not going to go there just yet, but we'll get there. Um, that as we practice remembering, as we practice reciting and, and living into again and again the glorious, loving, powerful, wonderful work of God in our lives, then that helps to cure us. Of this, what have you done for me lately syndrome? Uh, I think I shared the story with you before um, of my Aunt BB. Uh, Uncle, Bo- Uncle Roy and Aunt BB. 
um, were my great uncle and aunt and um, you know, knew them well. And they were um, just salt of the earth kind of folks, just good folks. They were um, faithful Southern Baptists. And um, a bunch of books on the shelves of my office uh, Uncle Roy gave to me when, uh, um, upon his death. And, uh, um, but I remember in college one time visiting Aunt Bibi. And Aunt Bibi was in the hospital. And because arthritis had so taken over her body that there wasn't a joint on her body that she could move, um, at least not without great pain. And some of them, they were just cemented. Um, she, she couldn't move a knuckle. Um, she couldn't move her knees. And she couldn't really move her elbows, even. Yeah, so in... in almost paralyzed in a sense. And so she was bedridden. And um, so I went to go visit her in the hospital, you know, and here, you know, I am, you know, 22 years old, you know, college student, and, and seeing her with her hands curled and immovable and her legs curled immovable, her arms immovable, you know, so we talked, I just looked at her, I said, Aunt Bibi, you know, are you angry about this? And she just smiled. Oh, no, honey. I'm too busy being thankful to be angry. She'd so much lived and had formed in her soul the wonderful, powerful works of God in Christ Jesus that even bedridden, she was free. She was free in, in gratitude and joy and in peace. And I, I think because Aunt Bibi and Uncle Roy were simply just formed by the regular gathering of God's people to rehearse and retell and relive the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that that had become the way she lived. In our passage, we see how God is telling His people to regularly relive, retell, um, re, uh, react out the works that I've done for you. It's in uh, Exodus chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 1, found on page 51 in your pew Bible, if you want to, to turn there. And what we'll see is it's key here in, in this is, is God is telling us what He's about to do for Israel to bring, break them free of slavery. He spends more time telling them how they need to remember it than He tells what He did. Before and after the event, he tells them, this is what you need to do in terms of the, the Passover. This is what you need to do in terms of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then he takes a few verses and says, this is how God freed Israel from slavery. And then he tells them again, now this is what you have to do in terms of regularly keeping the Passover. And this is what you have to do to regularly keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So note that as we read through it. Now, in order to, to understand and, and be sure we're, we're caught up um, with the sermon, then, uh, or with the text, you know, this is previously seen in Exodus. Moses, the Israelites had been enslaved for 40 years, or 400 years, or 400 years plus. 
And um, they've been crying out to God. And so God responds and hears their cry and he comes to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And he says, Moses, I'm calling you to lead my people out of slavery, out of bondage. You're the one that's going to lead them. And they have a little conversation and eventually Moses sees things God's way and he gets with his brother Aaron and he says, all right, let's go. And so they go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they say, God has come to me. Yahweh has appeared to me and he's now telling me to come tell you, you need to let my people go. To which Pharaoh responds, no. Rather emphatically. And Moses and Aaron are sort of stuck there and things really go downhill in a hurry. But God says, don't worry Moses, I got this. My mighty hand will be displayed. And so what happens is God then brings ten different plagues against the Egyptians. Against Pharaoh and against his people in in order to bring about this freedom of God's people from bondage. He does things like turns the water into blood. He brings a bunch of frogs. Then he brings a bunch of gnats. And then he brings a bunch of flies. And then he brings diseases on the cattle. Then he brings diseases upon the people. And then, then he brings um, the darkness um, over the land. And he brings locusts upon the, the people. And then he brings hailstorms. And then the, the last plague that he brings is the one that occurs at this point in the passage. And what, what he says to Moses is now I'm going to... And each time, after each plague, you know, Pharaoh would say, Okay, okay, stop. Uh, cry out, uncle. You know, you, all right, well, I'll, I'll let you go, basically. And then once the plague stopped, Moses would cry to God, stop the plague. God would stop the plague. And then Pharaoh would say, Oh, never mind. And that went on basically for each of the nine plagues. And then so the tenth one comes to show God's hand. He says, now what I'm going to do, what God's going to do, is kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. From Pharaoh's son all the way down to the Egyptian slave's son. Even in the cattle. The, the firstborn of all will be slain. And my people will be released from slavery. That is then the occasion that then the Israelites are set free from their bondage, slavery. And that's what's happening in the midst of this passage. And so what we'll hear is both, in this beginning part, it's going to tell the people what to do in the moment, and at the same time be telling them, and you need to do this every year. To, to remember this event. So you'll, you'll hear about how, they, um, how the Israelites are to mark off their homes with blood from a lamb so that God will pass over those homes and not kill the firstborn of the Israelites. And also a feast of unleavened bread. And that because the event's going to happen, it's going to happen quickly. And you've got to be ready and dressed, shoes on, eat the lamb. Don't leaven the bread. It takes too long. Just... Make crackers and go. And that's what is happening um, in, in these events. Alright, so Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 1, um, found on page 51. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your written word. And we pray that you will 
speak to us, uh, speak to our, our hearts, our minds, our souls, continue to form us through your word to do your will for your glory that we might experience the, the fullness of the freedom that you have for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 1. And we'll read through 15 and we'll jump down to 24. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Uh, that's key point right there. You know, it, now, your calendar is now going to be set on the events of this day. You know, the, the church calendar is, is set on the events of the life of Jesus. We begin in Advent as we prepare for Christmas, His birth. And then we, we move into Lent and then to Easter where we celebrate, we prepare for and celebrate His death and His resurrection. And then um, we celebrate Pentecost, which is then the coming of God's Holy Spirit upon the church. I mean, our, our calendar is around the life of God, in a sense. The life of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit. So, he's going to tell them, this, this, this is going to set your calendar, these, these events. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its heads, legs, head, legs, and inner organs. You shall be, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day shall be cut off from Israel. Then down to verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep the observance. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this observance? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. 
For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed down and worship. The Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, did you notice in here how he talks a whole lot more about keeping the festivals, about how you're to remember this day? Matter of fact, we didn't even get to the day. It's only the next three or four verses that he talks about the tenth plague coming on, and then about ten verses after that, he gives the Exodus, and then at the end of chapter 12, he tells the directions for Passover again. And then chapter 13, he tells the directions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread again. So, before and after... He tells us how we're to remember what He has done for us. It's it's as if remembering it is and living into it today is more important than the event even itself. Or, Or that the event is incomplete unless we are living into it today. And what is crucial, one crucial element for us as a people of God to live into the elements of God's life for us is to remember regularly what God has done for us. That's why in verse 14 he tells them, you're to keep this as a perpetual ordinance. Do this regularly. Do it throughout the generations. Do this. Now, as, as Christians... And uh, uh, this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have these same um, holy remembrance events. Matter of fact, you're at one right now. Uh, we, we switched the day we meet because of the resurrection. It was on Saturday, the Sabbath. Now we, we meet on Sunday. And we gather every time to recount, retell, and recalibrate ourselves to to live into the events of Jesus in our lives. That's why we gather at every time and we we have a a basic order. Where we gather and we, from wherever we're from, whatever we've been through, we know the one thing that is true and real is that God is good and we gather to praise Him. We, we gather to praise Him in, in song together, and we know that He is good, and we need to be reminded of that. And we also know we're not good, and sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so we come before God, and then we confess our brokenness before Him so that we might receive His grace and mercy. And each time that we gather, we recount the events of Jesus' life, that He died for you and for me, that He was raised to new life in the grand exodus of all people to free us from death and sin and our own selfishness, and that one day He will return. But until that day, we now are charged to live in Him. So that every time that we gather, we recount that basic truth. And then once a month, we gather and we, we, we put bread and juice on this table. And we remember Jesus' body and His blood shed for us, broken for us. This is, represents the grand universal exodus. In the exodus that we're talking about here, the, the lambs 
were slain so that their blood could cover over the doorpost of the house so that the judgment of God would pass them by, would pass over them. So that God's people, the people of Israel, would survive the plague. In the universal exodus, in the exodus of the day, the the exodus that we celebrate every time that we gather at the table. All people are invited to receive this blood. All people are invited to have the blood applied to their life of of the lamb who was slain. In this exodus, the the lamb is not uh, for each particular family and just for a select group of people. In this exodus, the lamb is not slain because of judgment. In this exodus, today, the lamb is slain out of mercy and grace because the lamb is God's son. The death of the firstborn in Moses' day was the death of the Egyptians, the enemy. The death that we celebrate is the very death of God the Son, who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's what we recount and remember and relive every time that we gather and every time that we gather at the table. And then finally, see in verse 24 and 28, he tells them again, now you need to remember this, you need to do this, because as you're doing this, this becomes conversation points. Uh, you think, if you're with those who are younger in the faith, they may be younger in age, they may be older in age, but they're younger in the faith, and, and you, might, uh, you might leave from here this morning and say, why'd we do that? That's the perfect opportunity for you to say, well, here's why I did it. It's really important, you know, as we're living out this faith, as we're remembering this, that it's important to you and you can share why it's important to you, especially as we pass on to those who are new or younger in the faith, whether they're uh, younger in age or not. And it's really important then, as um, Moses was telling the people um, here, it's it's not like don't tell people why it's supposed to be meaningful to them. Tell them why it's meaningful to you. Tell them as as we remember the wondrous works of God, the way that God has brought us out of slavery, the way that God has brought us free from death and sin and our own selfishness. People ask about it. We're young and new in the faith. And that's the opportunity simply for you to share why it's meaningful for you and that we pass the faith on the meaning and events of God's great work of salvation onto those who are new or younger in the faith. You know, I think it's similar to how I learned how to walk. 
and talk. I really don't remember it. I don't remember uh, sitting down and learning how to talk. But somehow it happened. And the same thing with learning how to walk and run. Somehow it happened. It was just I was formed in a, a world that was doing it. And I watched and I copied. And that's how God created me to be formed in that. And I think the same way with God's people. One of the things that we do is gather regularly at God's request, at God's command, at God's guidance. We gather regularly to remember His great works. So that we'll fend off the infection of that nasty syndrome. What have you done for me lately? And we're overwhelmed in gratitude. Free like Aunt B.B. in the hospital bed. Because of the wondrous, powerful, loving works of God. Who sent His Son to die for me and for you. So that we might live in freedom. To His glory and His honor. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we rejoice and marvel at your wisdom that has us gathering together regularly to to remember you. To to remember the wondrous works of salvation, of, of exodus, that you have freed us from sin and death. Thank you for your wisdom to have us gather together to, to praise you. And we, we pray your, your Holy Spirit continues to work to, to use those events to continue to form us, whether we're conscious of it or not. And we, we pray that you would continue to infuse the, the meaning of what we do to remember your great works for us. And... Uh, Help us to then be able to share that with others who don't know. We thank you for your wisdom in in gathering us together to, to encourage and support one another and to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those that who weep. And we lift up one another before you now. And we we rejoice that you hear our cries. And so we lay before you those around us in need of your healing touch. In need of your freeing power. In need of your reconciling peace. Uh, For those... um, need in, in relationships, we pray a reconciling peace. For those in need of provision, we pray for the work that, that you have provided for them, created them to do. For those in need of your healing touch, we pray they would be well in you. We lift before you one another. And, uh, particularly, Lord, we, we lift up Marjorie Klusmeyer and Barbara Houston. Continue to, to pray for Bill Stolfang. 
And we, we, we pray for um, Jennifer Mutters, Dick Doyle, Evelyn White, Vivian McCracken. And, and other needs and concerns that are burdens upon us, Lord, we, we take and lay them before you and know that you hear the cries of our heart. And Lord, we pray um, as well for um, our community. And we, we pray for um, uh, Joanna Walker, who was a 14-year-old killed on the side of the, the streets um, on Friday. And we, and we pray for the, the, the two that were um, uh, charged and arrested for that. Lord, we, we pray for your peace, your truth, your righteousness, your goodness, your grace and mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, as a community. We're in the middle of the day, in the middle of a crowd. We pray for the other three who were shot and in the hospital. We pray your healing upon them. We pray for Tom Mack, a member here who's a teacher at the school where that happened right across the street from. And we pray for your power, your love, your freedom to reign supreme in our city for your glory. Gracious God, and we pray that we'll be a part of what you are doing in our midst as we live out of holy remembrance of your salvation for us, the wondrous works of your mighty hand. As we seek to be your church without walls, to be that redeeming influence and presence in our community. We give ourselves to you. As we pray in one voice. Dear God, make us into your community for your glory. Connect us in Jesus no matter our differences. Lead us to serve the world like Jesus no matter the cost. Help us to celebrate you no matter the circumstances. We need you, Holy Spirit, to empower us for greater works than Jesus. Amen. Now let us uh, give unto God as God us.